Hi, Biocom Chatability podcasters. Welcome to our new episode. Wanted to give a brief introduction here that unfortunately we did this as a live recording and I had some audio challenges. So I apologize for that. I hope you can still enjoy the great content from Don and our guest for this episode, Dr. Phil Smeraldo. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring Biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to the first ever live episode of Biocompatibility, even though we really always are kind of recording live, but we're never in the same place. Correct. We're actually, first time we're face-to-face recording our podcast. Exactly. We are in Philadelphia. Don and I, you've heard us talk a lot about conducting training all over the world, and we happen to be here doing a training. We do. We just Just finished up the first two days of training. Yep. Finished up. And so we thought, let's do a podcast and talk about some of the topics that have come up this week during the training, as well as let's include a guest. And so our third team member today is Phil Smoraldo, who's also with NAMSA, and he is here. He's one of the instructors of the training this week. Hey, guys. Thanks for inviting me over to join the podcast. This is great. Thanks for being willing. You are victim number two. (laughs) (laughs) so inviting as you can see we don't take much serious around here i've been reading our transcripts don and i realized something that we both do a lot i say so and do you know what you say what (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) i'm pretty agreeable in that manner (laughs) you you really are every time i say something to you 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 go yeah yeah well (laughs) I am attempting to not say so today. Okay, I'll I'll attempt not to say yeah or yes or anything in the affirmative. I'll, I'll be very negative today. <laughs> <laughs> you could just you could mix it up a little bit. I could like yes, 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 yeah, sure. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. It's got to be all or nothing. What do you think, Phil? I, I know Don pretty well, and I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. That's what we say when we kind of disagree with the other person. We go, you're probably right. Or you could be right. <laughs> Just as easily wrong. But <laughs> Exactly. Well, this week we've had about 40 folks in the training here in Philadelphia, beautiful downtown Philadelphia. And I took some notes and I know you guys have, have paid attention as well as to some of the things that as you were talking, the questions that were, were coming up, and I, I wrote down some trends that I thought were coming up, and you guys can agree or disagree and come up with things on your own. So one of the, the discussions that I heard a lot was, we've had the device on the market for a long time, and there's been, quote unquote, no adverse effects. You know, how do we use that data? I think you both addressed it in different ways, one with part one, and then one as well in writing kind of an overall assessment. So you guys have any thoughts on on that but I, it felt like that question came up a lot i think it does you know again trying not to be negative but um, <laughs> um <laughs> people are I, I think generally 
you know, they're running in the situation that they changed something, but the device has been on the market. Nobody said anything bad about it. So why, why would I be expected to do anything about it? And so I think it's a common enough theme that in a training like this, when you have people representing 30 different companies or so in the room, you know, they're probably all being approached with it. Now I will say it's, like one of the hardest things to effectively mitigate the need for testing or evaluations just because I don't know, nobody's getting sick after they're exposed to my device. Well, that's great. But what's it really telling you about the detailed safety profile, the way a regulator might expect you to document it. And, and so it's hard to answer to to give them confidence that, Oh, great. You don't have, don't have any sicknesses reported after exposure to your device. (laughs) Great. Great. But I mean, but likewise, in terms of part one, it's something that the standard says that you can use as part of your evaluation. I think that's probably the key thing as part of your evaluation. And I I think one of the problems comes in, though, is, as you mentioned, it's some of the endpoints that we need to evaluate for these devices are very, very pointed and specific. And as such, there's tests developed to specifically address those endpoints. And and, and some of the data that you get from, from human may not be as detailed or as pointed as some of those tests that you might do in the laboratory. So it becomes a little bit difficult to, to say, yeah. I've effectively addressed that endpoint using clinical data to the detailed of what you might get from, from laboratory data. And I think like, if we tried to use an example, again, based on standards, because it's always nice to have a standard that kind of supports what you're trying to present ISO 10993 Part 10, way back in the new informative annexes, I mean, it talks about sensitization testing in humans. Right. And, I mean, it's possible, but it's a planned, controlled event that has a lot of subjects that you have to essentially test to control the variability in your subjects because you're not using, you know, a specific species of animal that's been produced specifically to do what you're asking it to do. So uh-oh. I think I have an example of this happening with me. So almost any kind of bandage that I wear, if it's a band-aid, it has some sort of adhesive. I have some sort of erythema or edema, almost any kind of adhesive, especially if it's a, I'll call it a non-name brand. But I never report that to the non-name brand people. So I'm having probably a sensitization or at least a minimum irritation response. I'm not reporting that. Right. And it's a bandage. So like, you're like, yeah, yeah, just take it off, throw it away and not worry about it. And, you know, I wore it for a day. It wasn't that bad. So am I going to take the time to like file a formal complaint with somebody? But they don't know then that I'm I'm sure there are people that do that report every little irritation they get from something. On the opposite side of that, what about something like a knee implant? It's not, and it's not so easy to just take that off and get rid of your exposure, <laughs> but, is it? Right, but like, what a, if, like a mandate. What if I, I they have success and they're, I've had this knee for 10 years and it's been successful and it stayed in place and it stayed, you know, the cell growth was great because I know because it worked well. Wouldn't that be enough? Like, wouldn't that be usable? Is that we have 100 people out there running marathons in our knees if you had that kind of data for an so implant, let's, implant so let's, maybe. Let's, Along those same lines, okay. let's take another scenario. Okay. Some individuals are very sensitive to poison ivy. Others 
can take poison ivy and rub it all over themselves and not have any type of reaction. Not Don. <laughs> I'm just supposed to say yes right now. So, so, <laughs> so the, the question is, is if you, if you happen to choose the one patient that is resistant to poison ivy reaction, does right. that make it safe to use that in, to use poison ivy in a, in a, some type of therapeutic situation, whether Very it's device or otherwise. Right. And, and so I, th- I think that becomes a situation where you've got the variability within the human species is so much that in order to get a, a maybe conclusive result, your N has to be pretty high. Okay. And, and for some devices, you may have that. Yeah. <laughs> Other, I mean, if I, I track a hundred knee implants and they all run a marathon, that may be useful, but it might not be. It's at least worth a discussion. It is. It is. Yeah, because you just picked like the healthiest subjects. Those, well, presumably those that are running marathons and that have a body mass index. That's yeah, maybe I've run appropriate. A half. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reason you're only halfway there. <laughs> oh no! Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and we're face to face when I pull that out. I tell you what. Face to face. Imagine what he says behind my back. Yeah, really. Oh, people have fun with this one. Okay, so good. All right, I, I get that topic. And Basically, you want me to be negative? I don't want you to <laughs> I haven't be even negative. started that. Anyway. All right. So, I think in general, the message and what we what you guys shared this week for sure is, it depends. It could be useful. It might yep. not be useful. But it's always worth a discussion, and it's situational. And, and as part of the standard, if you have the data, it's a requirement sure. to look at it. To look at it. Just, mm-hmm. I think you have to be careful of what you say it's going to do for you and what it's, understand what it's not going to do for you. All right. Yeah. And I tell you, though, t- you know, along those same lines, if you can acquire good information from humans, why might you ever consider going and doing testing in a different Way. species, yeah. right? I mean, yep. This is what we're really concerned about is right. human health. Right. So, you know, for lack of a better term, what better test model than, than a human? Exactly. So, okay. So, um, I said so. You did. I need to, like, pinch myself. Class six testing. I have, I have this as a potential episode in the future. <laughs> Please <don't. laughs> Because it's always, I know, but it's always, I mean, such a discussion point at training is to whether or not when suppliers like whether they should be doing class six testing or not anymore and is it again is it useful data yeah and i I think i mean it kind of almost spun out of control because i think we talked about it in today in the course this week for like 10 minutes and it's and it's class six yeah exactly exactly because it kept coming up over and over again and you know it is what it is it is what it's not i mean it's usually going to be material based not end device because class six was meant for a material not an and not a device for one is it part of your material characterization package to define the safety of a material that you selected sure if you have it maybe it's useful for that i i think i'm brought up the conversation that if i have something that's usp class six tested versus something that's used to make a car door you know Maybe, Maybe a better but the car door might pass class six too. Yeah, yeah, they just may never have tested it. So, yeah, I mean, it's something maybe at least to help qualify a material, but I, I don't know how much you can actually leverage it as a definitive statement about the safety of a final device. That's, yeah. 
I, I think if 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 you were a manufacturer choosing between, let's say, material A and material B, and they were both the same material, maybe different grade, different supplier, whatever. And if if you had the choice between material from supplier A had no testing at all, and we'll say a similar material from supplier B that's claimed as being USP class six. I think if I were going to to go into designing a, a medical device, I would probably use the one that has some biocompatibility with it. Yeah. Not, even if it's only for the reason why, only for the reason that when I chose my materials, I went through that type of process to choose things that are at least tested in some way. Yeah, that makes sense. That um, makes perfect sense to me. Am I going to be able to use that information to to support or justify not? doing some biological endpoint on my final device? Probably not, but at least I know going through the process that I have taken at least some effort to choose a reasonable material. That's that's my two cents. Okay. And I, I don't know what sure. the cost difference is between those, something that's not tested versus tested. I have no idea. That's a great point. I mean, yeah. but if the cost is... It kind of brings if, me <laughs> to my next topic, and then I'll let you guys have a topic unless you want me to just keep going. Medical grade. So the infamous quote-unquote medical grade it could probably again be an episode all of its own but we'll touch on it here and we one of the things we always try to emphasize is there's no definition for medical grade there's no criteria for medical grade it is a marketing term and i'm not talking down on marketers because i'm a marketer but it is a marketing term and it is used in that regard and and each company interprets what that means differently it could mean they have some class six testing their medical grade might have class six where their same material that's not medical grade doesn't have class six. So they can mark it up because they call it medical grade. How do you suggest people use that <laughs> in their selection of materials? What's your course of action? If you were to go look at suppliers of materials and somebody said medical grade, what's the course of action you would take? I, I basically, I, I'd ask for what that means, the data. And then, well, by kind of test selection, what that means. What testing did you do to define it as medical grade? And then, oh, but it means it's biocompatible, Don. Perfect. <laughs> to what, right? Wait, I'm supposed to be negative or positive? I've lost track. <laughs> no. Just be, <laughs> just be real. Sarcastic positive. Sarcastic I think positive. Is that, <laughs> I'm pretty good at sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, we've noticed. Yeah. I think drooling sarcasm was mentioned this week during training. Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah, I would say. You know, I'd, I'd ask for their definition in terms of the test data they collected to say that it is biocompatible, medical grade, whatever. And then if to really put the support behind it myself, I'd like to, if I'm going to use that in some way, then I'd like to see the reports because I would like to see yeah, what, what I tested, what they tested, how they did the testing how they did the extractions for any testing that involves extractions, how old it is. Oh, yeah, you, you defined yourself as medical grade in 1992, and you're living off that for all these years. That might be fine, but I'm going to ask to see some dots that get connected there. And, and the more distant the data appear from the current day and what I'm looking at in front of me, I, I, the less I'm going to find value in it. Besides, back to Phil's point, it's kind of that it's something that somebody did at some point to qualify a material as better than 
I think street vendors were talked about this week street during vendors. training. <laughs> street vendors came up as well. Yes. And so, not Philly cheesesteak street vendors. No, Although, no, no, no. We, no. Maybe. We, we kind of stole that from, you know, somebody at the biocompatibility summit, summit that we did week, last yeah. week. A great example. Thank you, Kent Grove. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it gives you something to differentiate yourself from somebody else that makes something just for general purpose use, not a regulated product. And I guess you agree. I, I agree with everything Don just said. Let me let me throw of course in a, you do. Let me throw in another <laughs> good. Give him a another aspect give him a jab to this. Back. No, no, oh, no, no, no jabs, but no maybe, jabs. maybe something else to consider. Okay. Let's just say that you have a general purpose grade material, and let's just say for for some performance aspect, the material specification says that for that particular aspect, it can be plus minus five percent, but. Maybe for a medical grade material, maybe that plus minus is narrowed down, meaning that with each batch of medical grade material, those specifications are more tightly controlled. Mm. Uh, that's a great example. It's I think just a that's thought. what happened with the, the pip, pip implants in Europe, didn't it? it? There was a change in material supplier, and then they started failing. Something to that I don't remember Something. the specific and that's but, where I, it's yeah. just like i maybe maybe with so there, a there's maybe a difference there's a difference and, and i think to don's point what is that difference that makes this medical grade whether it's testing do they do they offer a more oh what do i want to say comparable material for each different lot that they make yeah i i, I don't know the i i don't know yeah, what and, that mean i don't know what that means and, and to some degree just by calling something medical grade may not actually from a company's point of view say that they have anything to state about safety but it's indicating that it can be used in a regulated product because of the way they manufacture it and the controls they have in place gmp type manufacturing controls would say that it's more suitable for use in a regulated product because we control its manufacture in a way and right. you know you it might have greater confidence yeah it could be I mean, I've certainly seen that and I've seen, you know, medical grade equals cytotoxicity testing, nothing else and, and USB <laughs> class six testing and nothing else. But then I've also seen, you know, everything from cyto to yeah. 26 week bone implants and everything in between to equal medical grade. But it just kind of speaks to the variability that that is out there, which is probably, again, within the first, what, two hours of training this week, it came up numerous times as it usually does yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah especially in course i mean from our perspective as much of an introduction to biocompatibility as what we can call it which i always think as soon as we get into the first 30 minutes that our introduction into biocompatibility is an kind of an, an advance is already covering some advance if people ask me if it's an introduction an introductory course i say no yeah because it's yeah. not if you don't know anything right. about biocomp you will come here and be a little out of sorts. It's why we give some pre-reading and such for people because it can be a lot to swallow if you haven't done yeah. any of it. First 30 minutes, we're going to be talking about ISO 10993. And if you have no idea what that is, what that is. Yeah. which if, if you're a beginner, you certainly, I didn't, you know, well, it wasn't around when I started. So that dates me a little bit, but, <laughs> but still, if you, you know, day one in medical devices, you're probably not going to know what that is. All right. So we'll pick one or two. It's going to determine our next topic. Two. Two. Multi-component devices. Hmm. Lots of questions this week around 
multi-component devices and the evaluation of multi-component, especially commonly so, they have different types of contact, different durations of contact. You know, there's the whole chicken soup method where you throw it all in and boil it up and, and there it is, which we've never been a proponent of. The Uber the device, my favorite. The Uber device? Uber device, yeah. What's that? You take every configuration across 10 families of products that oh. you make and you throw them all together, glue them together, do whatever, and you have an Uber device and now you just test that. And it represents everything that you tested because, heck, it was all in there, so... <laughs> Everything is there. Chicken it's soup. there. Yes, you get, yep. Yep. And I wish there was an easier way to address these things, but there's not. And people don't like to hear that. And they certainly don't want to hear it from a testing laboratory because they think we're just trying to get more testing out of them. But there is really no other way to approach this if you really want to evaluate it at the ratio of how it's in human contact. And, you know, there's so many elements. There is. And, and even when you're up, you know, at the front of the stage presenting and, and someone tries to describe their situation to you in 10 seconds and, and you're expected to give a logical answer, that can be very difficult <laughs> it, because like, let, let, let's back up here a moment. What type of device are we talking right. about? What, what, you know, <laughs> if I have a hook and a line and a string and, and then it goes, you know, lateral and you're like, where? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, you're crushing dreams. <laughs> <laughs> crushing dreams and paychecks and bonuses. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, and but it, budgets, <laughs> you know, timelines. Again, I'm trying to be apparently negative but positive <laughs> no, at the same time I didn't now. Say to be negative. The, 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 the just the, um, you know, you want to say that anything's possible, which it is, obviously. I mean, if you have a 50 product family, and they all do have similarities, but they're not exactly the same. Might you be able to select two or three worst case scenarios to represent the family? Certainly you may, but does that mean you just throw all 50 family members in the pot and test them and say they're all okay? That's that's probably not the best. So there's got to be some fundamental logic that you spell out and justify your approach. I'd say whatever you do. I'm not saying that you would have to test all 50 separately. Um, maybe not. But if I don't want to do that, I got to come up with a strategy that makes sense on why I selected what I selected to do the testing on or the evaluation on or whatever. Okay. It's a case by it's case. By case. <laughs> so much about biocompatibility is a case by case. Yep. Well, I would like now for, um, you guys didn't know I was going to do this, but each one of us to kind of take a main takeaway from the week. Like what's, um, and I'll start to give you guys time to think. For me, I think I'm still amazed at the amount after all these years of attending these. I've, I don't know how many I've attended and some participated at a higher level than others. How much there's still to learn and understand and comprehend and how we continue to have this exchange of information with customers and potential customers or non-NAMSA customers for that matter and learn how regulatory agencies are treating different companies. I mean, I heard something today that I was shocked about regarding a GLP and a 17025 certification Mm -hmm. from a notified body. I'm just like, are you serious? So the amount of things I still continue to learn and hear every single time that surprises me is amazing. So that's kind of my key takeaway from the week. 
I don't know if I have a real takeaway at the moment, but I, I tell you what, it's it's uh, kind of fun when you're up there talking about something and, and, and you happen to just make some type of statement. And, and suddenly you see every person in the audience start frantically writing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I always kind of ask myself, did I say something like completely out of line or, or did I just say something so profound? So brilliant. That, I've never that, heard that it, 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 it moved it everybody moved. in the, in, in the I audience. Think that, I'm sure it's that. That's what I'd like to think. I think but. So. <laughs> what about you, Don? Yeah. You know, it, I, I think it makes sense for like what I've say observed this week and I've observed it in other training as well. But just, you know, every time we do these courses, you know, here in the States, we do them like three times a year plus, you know, ones on site for customers, whatever, do them in Europe. But, you know, you get 40 people in the room and then every time you have people that are toxicologists, you have people that are seasoned professionals that really know biocomp. And they just need to be here. So they get yeah. something to yeah, put in a file. Box. Yeah, I got to yeah. put some training in the file. But then you always have people, they're like, they come up. I've, I've, this is my first exposure to biocomp. So I, you know, it, you get all these different, and it's every time it's that way. You yeah. get people at the beginning, they just started getting into biocomp, people that have been doing it for years and are probably bored out of their minds listening to filling me up there jabbering about biocomp well, for two days the back of the room you see a lot of you know interesting things on people's computer screens and phones throughout the day <laughs> but <laughs> they may or may not be working or paying attention but it happens yeah and but i will say i mean most mostly they're mostly engaged i mean yeah these people that we get to come to these sessions are so engaged in what they do yeah i mean we definitely had some regulators in yep. the audience this week and you know, when you see a regulator taking, you know, what appears to be copious amounts of handwritten notes and you feel like you're talking about a pretty basic topic, again, you're, you're like Phil was saying, you're like, okay, is what I think is common knowledge not common knowledge or is it something else that they're worried about and, and they're taking yeah. note of it? So, it's a regulator one more time around. Going that keeps going through my mind now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have to dub that. <laughs> we may. Kind of, kind of along those same lines. It, there was at least one person. I think there might have been two who said that they recently started in their position. Yeah. And they got they got thrown into like spearheading the biocompatibility portion of their yes. device. Yes. Which they've never had to handle that before, mm -hmm. and they say they are beyond confused. Yeah. And then they come here and they say, you know. I'm not saying that I'm understanding everything, but questions and, and things that we've had internally are starting to make a whole lot more sense. And, and, and I tell you, I, it's just like when you, if you read an SOP and then are expected to go perform that function, you know, it may not go so smoothly, but, but, but as soon as you, if you, if you get in there, you dive in, uh, you get involved, you find out you're confused and then you get some training then things start to, to make a whole lot more sense. So it, 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 it's fun to see that. And there were a few people that I was talking to this week as well that weren't even responsible, solely responsible for Biocomp, but rather, you know, they were in the regulatory field within their company, not a regulator, but a regulatory professional. Right. And so they just wanted to make sure they understood whether or not people were feeding them good stuff or junk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's the strength of my argument in the biocompatibility section of my 510K? If I'm doing the regulatory submission and I don't understand what they're giving me, 
I can't really assess it as being good, bad, or indifferent, but now at least I, I might not want to do it myself, but I can see the, the pros and cons generally have an idea of what it is they just put in front of me, um, to, you know, again, see if it's maybe at a bad level, if it's rubbish or if there's some well thought out logic that makes sense and I can support. So yep. agree. Okay. I think this was good. We went, you know, there's a lot of things we could certainly talk about, but I'm, you know, I'm grateful we continue to get this opportunity. So, you know, if you're a customer out there that sends your new employees to our training, thank you very much. You know, keep sending them. We, I had several people come up to me, to me this week that have either been here before or their boss has been here before. So they told me, they said, my such and such wanted me to tell you hello. So we have a nice little community of folks that attend these trainings and continue to attend and and we're grateful they do because it gives us this great opportunity to get out and speak to people and meet a lot of people and, and learn from them as well. <clears throat> well, it's that time for two truths and a lie. It's now a thing. If we do it twice, it definitely becomes a thing like it's that we have to do. So every guest, Phil, that comes on our show, you being guest number two, <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. is has to play the game, two truths and a lie. With. And so you're familiar with the game. Somewhat. You told me about it before right. the okay. So yep. Each of us are gonna say two truths and a lie about working in or around biocompatibility or about biocompatibility in general. And the other two have to try to guess which one is the lie. So I'll go first. I may have just changed my idea. But so while conducting training in Texas, we had to evacuate for a tornado warning. Uh, in my email, I keep a folder called they'll be back for customers that didn't like what, what we told them the first time that are going to go try it a different way. And my, my guess is they'll be back someday. And number three, while doing training, we had a conversation about mostly quick. <laughs> <laughs> the laughter and silence. <laughs> I know the answer. You know the answer? Oh, yeah. So what do you think? For the, th for the third one, may I ask a question, or is that all I'm getting? <laughs> I, I well, can't well, reveal any more details. Was was that actually during training? Actually, it was not during training. It happened to be during the cocktail reception. Oh, okay, okay, all right, all right, fair enough. Okay. So, but it was during the week of training. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what am I supposed to guess? Guess which, which one one's was the lie? Yeah. I, I think number two was the lie. The folder that I keep about they'll be back? Yeah. What about you? Number one was the lie. Uh, the tornado warning in Texas. Yeah. That's correct. We've never evacuated for a tornado warning. And I do have that email in that email folder. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I, we were down in Texas and there was like some super nasty storm. That yeah, came but we about. didn't have to evacuate. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. details. Yeah, details. details. Devils uh, in the details. A little bit of. <laughs> I've been in an earthquake, but not a tornado. I will tell you the second option did seem realistic, seem but realistic. I didn't know if you took it to that extreme. Either. I did. Okay. I don't, I haven't put anybody in it in a long time because I don't talk to customers, but I have it from my years ago in sales and it's still there. Every once in a while I go in and look and see if anybody might recognize anybody. So, all right. Who's next? I, I'm still coming up with mine. So so, I'm still thinking of this. I'm still thinking. All right, Phil. All right. This is the, all right. Here we go. All right. So just, just rattle them off. One, two, yep. three. And one, then two, three, you, okay. And all right. Number one. In a prior laboratory that I worked at, in some cases, we used cocaine as a positive control. Number two, 
I once toxicologically evaluated corn syrup using the adverse effect of cavities as my point of departure. <laughs> oh, that's good. Question, uh, no, I, 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 option okay. number, number three. three. I once evaluated resveratrol, which is that like super antioxidant thing found in red wine. Okay. You know, like the, the key to longevity in this right. type of, okay. I once evaluated resveratrol as an extractable from a medical device. That I believe. I'm going to go with number two as the lie. If we're both in the corn syrup is a lie. That is true. It would be fun. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You guys are both correct. We're correct. Okay. Okay. I was not the one who did that toxicological (laughs) evaluation. But somebody did. But I know somebody who did. (laughs) (laughs) It was not me, but it did happen. That's excellent. (laughs) That's great. That's excellent. Very good. See, I knew you. You were worried. It worked perfectly. Took and me 45 minutes. The cocaine thing had we not talked about it earlier. Yeah. Yep. 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 You, you, were, you were doing a training, Don and Bill and I were talking about the cocaine. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. All right. All right. It's up You're to me. Off the top of your head. I'm, I'm making this up as I go. Okay. So first one, let's see. I selected the fermenter I used to make beer based on the characterization profile that I saw us do on a material in one of our assessments. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, number two, I guess there's a cocaine theme. We'll go with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you guys know this one probably, but I, I referred to cocaine numerous times in a presentation that I made during a training event. There are so many things related to training. I did a training, a presentation for a training event with a shot of whiskey in my hand. Wow. I wasn't there if that happened. Notice I said in my hand. In your hand. <laughs> Not that that matters. <laughs> Where else would it be? Um, His belly. <laughs> <laughs> right? Liver. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with number three as the lie. I don't see you as a whiskey man. That's the reason I'm going with number three. Oh. You're both correct. A, I'm not a whiskey man. And B, it was beer. It was beer. <laughs> That's what I would have thought. That's what I would have thought. And it was 316L stainless steel that my fermenter is made out of. So. Did, uh, Very that, nice. That part did not surprise <laughs> that me didn't at surprise all. Me either. Oh, yeah. Check. He did right that. He did True. that totally. True. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. And... If you want to learn more about all these trainings that we have so much fun at, you can go to the link www.namsa.com slash biocomp training and learn where we're going to be out again on the road. You can see us and spend some time with us. If you want to be on the podcast, let us know. We'll set up the mics and record you. So www2, that's two like the number two, dot namsa.com forward slash training. Also special thanks to Phil, Philip Smeraldo. You can find him on LinkedIn under Philip Smeraldo, S-M-I-R-A-L-D-O. Connect with him if you'd like to and tell him how entertaining he is and grateful you are that you joined us on the podcast. We're grateful you joined us. Thank you for being willing. It was my pleasure. Thank you. It's painless. We told you it's painless. Once you get past the initial, you know, it's painless. 
Okay. You're right. It was it was it was actually Tell a lot all of your fun. Friends. It was a lot us. of fun. Okay, thank good. you. So, thank you everyone and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast. <laughs>